Hi everyone, you're listening to PhD Vis Podcast, a podcast about academia, culture, and social justice across the STEM humanities divide. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Liz Wayne, and today you're going to hear me talking with another one of my good friends, Dr. Laura Borgen, who is a computational biologist. Um, next week you'll hear back from Zine. Uh, hopefully she will feel better next week, but we hope you enjoy. Thanks. Compared <laughs> to my computer, I had to work that out. I was like, oh, it said don't use the phone. I'm like, oh my God, I have to figure out Bluetooth on my computer. Oh my oh, God. Really? Oh my God. They said you couldn't use your phone? Huh. Well, it suggested to use the computer. So here I am, just all hands free. <laughs> all hands free. Like, so I wonder what you're going to do with your hands now. I mean, uh, I'm trying to keep them here so I don't make distracting <laughs> I don't know where noises. here is. Like in my, I'm in a crossed position. Like I need to be, I need to be behaving myself. Oh my God. <laughs> that's right. Everyone watch out because Dr. Boykin needs to behave herself. I mean, that's, it's serious business. It's hard to yeah. do. <laughs> so why didn't I get you to um, say your name and uh, what you do just for the pod? Say my name, say my name. Oh my um, God. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Yes, I know, I know, I know. I needed Liz. that so much. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Like, we have to be serious on here. Okay, so I'll say my name. Um, my name is Laura Boykin, and I am leading a project called the Cassava Virus Action Project. Amazing. I am so excited. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Boykin. Would you like to call for me to call you Laura or Dr. Boykin throughout this interview? Oh, good Lord in heaven. Laura, please. <laughs> Dr. All right. I, was, I was hoping you could be protected. Uh, okay, I see what you did there, and I, I see your point. I do not. <laughs> I mean, I mean. I, this right. is almost unbelievable that we get to do this because we talk all the time. We, you know, we're doing We talk all the time. We talk all the You're time, right. but, like, here we are on your amazing podcast. So I'm Aww. happy amazing so Laura tell me about the true lab project what's actually going on here yeah I should tell you what the situation is yeah so basically there's this plant called cassava and it feeds mm -hmm. 800 million people around the world and 500 million of those people are in sub-saharan Africa wow. and the current situation is there are these viruses that are just completely devastating the crop. So farmers will go from, you know, a normal yield of maybe 35 tons per hectare down to zero if their crops are infected. And the scientists in East Africa have just laid this amazing foundation of knowing, you know, characterizing the viruses and doing all of the lab work. But one of the things that was slowing, you know, sort of progress down was it was taking like three to six months to get the actual DNA sequencing back. Mm -hmm. So they knew it was infected, but they were like, what strain is it? You know, mm -hmm. is this something new? And so one of the things that we had heard about was this sort of portable technology that people were using for Ebola. And they're also using that technology now for coronavirus as well. Mm -hmm. So we were just like, why are we not using that for the farmers, right? And so we just devised a plan to take the whole molecular lab and the whole computational stuff and just sit on a blanket under a farm, under mm -hmm. a tree with farmers and see if we could get some results while they waited. And, Whoa. and we just, we did that. And these farmers were just like, 
what is even happening right now? You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, it was so cool to have results come off of the sequencer and us do the analysis. And then the farmer. So how dance, long did it take to do it that? It took us three hours. So we went three from hours. Sort of three hours in so three six hours. Six months to three hours here. Yeah. It's a big difference. I mean, I feel, I feel like, and you know what, when we were doing it, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it wasn't until we went out, like we talked about what we did that people were like, oh, that's amazing. And I wasn't even ready to, I didn't even think that we were ready to give a TED talk, right? I was like, I don't think we're ready. And then the team was like, are you insane? This has happened. It's not like you're talking about doing this. You've actually, you guys have actually got the whole crew together Mm -hmm. and you did it. And so, yeah. So when I was preparing for the talk, I was like, ah, are we even ready for this? You know, like as scientists. So why were you asking if you were ready or not? What was going on there? I was just like, oh, we've only done it three times and we've only published (laughs) one paper. And And that's such an academic thing to say. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so stupid, isn't it? It's so, it's so stupid. Like, oh, I'm not ready. We've only done one paper and three times. And, you know, uh, anyway, you know how it is. And then finally. I have to stop laughing. I'm sorry. It's like the most academic thing I've heard. And I'm, I'm literally sitting Uh, like in my office doing this. Okay. uh, it's so Ugh. stupid for, for, and I just literally, and we were just like, no, we're not ready. We're not ready. Like, I think we need to do this like a hundred times and then we need five pay. And then finally, when they were like, no, you need to, you, you know, you need to do this. And I was like, oh, I think the team needs to come. And then what is that going to look like? Yeah, and- that's really difficult trying to understand um, how to represent a team um, and, and how to do that well, especially when they can't be in the room. I had another question for you. I wanted to say that, you know, just to go back to what you were saying with um, you want the whole team to be there. And I think um, you've also been a proponent of Africans being in charge of like African research. Right. So always, always. um, And there's this huge thing that happens and I'm hoping you can actually talk about with us. Like Mm. this thing, what what are people so... um, uh, I forget what the hashtag that you used on Twitter was, but when you see these studies and they talk about African genes or Af- well, African genes, but you know what I mean? Like sequencing done yeah. in Africa. And then yeah. you look at the authorship and they're like, uh, yeah, not, yeah, from, Af- yeah. not yeah. from Africa and all the resources. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So it's interesting for me. I feel like, um, I I was invited onto this cassava disease team by, you know, the leader of the project, who's this gentleman, this this doctor named Dr. Joseph Nanguru. And so I met him probably five or six years ago. And he was like, hey, we're working on these projects, you know, computationally, we'd love to have, you know, a, part, a true partnership with, you know, you guys in Australia, because I was in Australia at the time. And uh-huh. so we were we went into our particular project from the very beginning on invitation from the crew. And we were very specific and we were very calculated about the fact that it was going to be inclusive from the beginning, right? The diversity Mm -hmm. and inclusion was the center point before we did absolutely anything. And so um, that included, you know, scientists exchanging back and forth between you know, labs, and then us spending a lot of time on the ground, because I don't, I'm, I'm in training about cassava, right? Like the team on the ground in East Africa, they're the experts, and I'm learning, 
right? Right. So for you, it was like almost a, initially, at least as a matter of respect, you were brought on this team yeah. to yeah. perform a service um, yep. or a function. You had one yep. function, but you were a part of a team. And so you're yep. trying, you're, you're aware of the inclusivity. You want to be inclusive and From you wanted to not take credit for something. Exactly. Um, and I thought exactly. that your talk did a really good job of that. You guys, by the way, I mean, we're not actually advertising her TED talk, but you should actually look up this talk because it does, she does, a, I think, a good job of trying to talk about her role in the research without saying like, I, I yeah. you're not giving any kind of white woman savior here whatsoever. No. And that's so no. easy for people to do. <laughs> and uh. you call them out on Twitter when they do it and it's lovely. I do it constantly and I think to myself like no I'm going to stay on the grind because <laughs> being an ally being an ally is is every single day every single thing right it's not and it's going to be uncomfortable and so in my talk I spent a lot of time like not my biggest thing was I don't want this to look like a white savior because I am literally just on the team as one of the crew right and so mm -hmm. the imagery that we used was really particular, right? I mean, mm. the sequencer that, that we were using made by Oxford Nanopore, they didn't actually have any pictures of non-white hands holding the device. So you know really? what, we're gonna make that happen. No, that, all the images we took ourselves, right? We wow. made it a very particular point to, those photos matter, right? They, they really, really matter and, and, um, you know, we just spend a lot of time curating the images that come out of the project that we're doing. And truthfully, I am the computer person on the team, right? When you look at our pictures, I'm not, I'm not the one with the pipette doing the lab work. Charles mm -hmm. Kayuki, Brenda Muga, all the, the team is doing that. Yeah. We're literally a team. And so it took me a long time to work on that, the talk, because I just wanted it to be just my story of how I landed there and then what we were doing. You know what I mean? So when you so tell the story, um, when you tell this story to, I think in your daily life, when you're talking to other people, do you find that people try to minimize what they do or do they, do you feel like they often only want to talk to you instead of talking to other members of the Casalva project? Yeah. You know what? Luckily, I think that I don't really, allow people to just talk about mm -hmm. me really <laughs> you know like one of the things was when we first did this project we first tried it in 2017 um and we did it successfully the we had the bbc with us right so the bbc mm -hmm. cameras were with us and they were rolling the whole time and i'm like we we made sure that there were no what do they call it poverty porn right the yeah. images if there oh, was God. like a weird thing happening Guess what? We pick, we we picked farmers based on. We were like, I said, we are gonna drive around until we find the best dressed farmer in this village, <laughs> as she yes. was going to be on the screen, and that's how and that's how Asha was just. She was just a businesswoman with her best outfit, and and you know what? We were like, no, this is because this is the reality of it, right? Like these farmers are businesswomen of mm -hmm. different, you know, there's, there's so mm -hmm. much intersectionality within them as well. So we were like, no, we're going to get to, and she's going to be a strong, strong woman. And she's going to look amazing. And we're not going to shoot that side. And we're going to do this side. And then part of that was we were flying to London to go live on the BBC mm -hmm. GMT or whatever it was. And at first they were like, oh yeah, you're just going to come. And I go, uh-uh, nope, I'm not going mm -hmm. on the BBC by myself. 
And so I, you have but to. But they tried really, you. They tried first. That's they tried. interesting. And they, and and guess what? Ninety nine percent of white scientists they fall for that, and they know it. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm willing to give up going on the BBC live. I said I will only come there if our team comes there, and we are all on that screen. Hmm. And people were like, Oh no, you didn't. But I'm like, No, uh uh-uh. uh, yeah. I'm not going. I'm not going. I look like an idiot on BBC live talking about cassava give me a break like I stay in my lane I'm the computer person I happen to have TED training I do communications we all work together but when if you want the real deal talk to the team talk to the people that know this more than I do you know yeah so tell me what you've learned with working with an um, an African team so you had quite a trajectory too being from Arizona uh, yeah. And then going to Australia. And now, what is that like now working on an all African team? It is literally the best thing that's ever happened to me. It is the <laughs> best. You know what the thing I love about working on this amazing team of scientists is they allow me to be my whole self. All mm-hmm. of me is there. All of me is there. Guess what? When we tell farmers that their crops are infected, this team knows that I'm going to sit in the back of the car and cry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cry. We just told this woman and her village that that this um that her livelihood is at stake, right? And her kids might be hungry, and that's that's awful. I'm not gonna sit there and think, oh my nature paper, oh my science paper. No, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. cry, right? And I do it. And the team absolutely we all bring ourselves there. In all of our differences, we're all there as our complete selves. And there's I've never found that outside of the continent ever mm. heaven That's it interesting. is such a beautiful feeling to have you know the thing is um i have a small bit of privilege i mean i have a lot of privilege right we have internet privilege we're in america i'm white i'm you know i have i love it just like com- white by the way yeah. there's like a yeah. there's like a oh, i know yeah a little bit yeah you know like <laughs> i have Go all ahead. of those privileges and it's like no i use and and, and then i'll i'm i'm I said the other day that I was controversial and then somebody said, no, you're courageous. So I've decided that Ooh. I'm not thinking the controversial Keep thing. Courageous. And they let me be that, right? Like they, there's, it's just all of us are standing up for each other at all times. It's such a strong amount of trust because at the end of the day, all of us are the people sitting around the outside of the conference. Science mm-hmm. is a white man's game. We know this. This is, it's, there's facts, there's data, this is true. And so we're just this crew, motley old crew, mm-hmm. talking it and walking it. And it's just <laughs> such a cool thing to be all together and just trying to move ourselves forward. And yeah, I love it. I, wouldn't, I, I don't want to do science any other way. I want to do science wrapped in social justice or I'm not doing it. Mm. That's it. That That's is powerful. Vibe. It's so, so good. I'm I'm happy. So I want to tell our listeners about our history together because I think every every Shiro has a, a she friend and I am the she friend. I just made this up. I'm the she friend for Laura. So I met Laura uh, in 2017. Uh, I was a junior TED fellow and Laura was a senior TED fellow. And we were at TED and she was just this 
amazing, continues to be an amazing person. But then it was like eye opening, like, wow, what do you do? And like, what is this place I'm in? What the hell is happening to me? And you had all the answers and you were just like a really great, um, you know, person. And, uh, and I wanted everyone to know about that. And I wanted to be able to talk about that. So there. Oh my gosh. Honest <laughs> to goodness. That is so nice of you to say. I think that I'm the she friend and you're the she hero. That's all I'm going to say about that. I well, mean, you know, that's a I, given. And do you remember the best part about our meeting was the breakfast in Vancouver? I mean, yes. I vividly remember us eating potatoes and all sorts of yummy things in that oh, yeah. beautiful hotel. And I, I love like, a full breakfast. I mean, I just, every time I think of Ted, I think of that buffet breakfast. Is that bad? It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I mean, food in general for Ted is, is something I always talk about because yeah. I remember that sense of loss that I had when I left Ted because I had to plan mm-hmm. my meals. I know. And surprise, surprise, you just don't walk around and have amazing food just literally at your fingertips everywhere you I go. Know. Oh my God. Um, but I remember our breakfast bonding sessions. And then <laughs> I vividly remember right before your talk, your voice was like on in and out. And you were just like, I've got to sit by myself. And I was like, no, I don't want you over there. But you were like, I have to conserve my voice. I'm getting ready to take the main I really stage. And, that? That's you know. hilarious. I mean, you didn't, oh, you might God, have whispered it. <laughs> no, you might have whispered it. But I just vividly remember you were just, we were all so concerned because your voice was like, you know, we, we were just all so excited that our voices were barely functioning by the, yeah. by the second day. Oh, and I yeah. just remember you sitting at breakfast going, I need this tea. I need to relax. I mean, like, this is the day. So anyway. Oh, you know what? I know that makes sense. Because I keep talk. I talk a lot. And, uh, you know, I did crash by Wednesday. But I had noticed that I was talking from like 6 a.m. until like I went to sleep, which is like 1 a.m. And I was just doing that because it was so exciting and it was kind of hard not to do that and based on my personality yeah like I was totally doing that and I was um yeah I was picking apart every little itty bitty thing that could possibly happen um and then you know um that did you ever I I, sorry I was gonna ask a question and then make a statement then became a questment um (laughs) (laughs) but I was going through this thing of like hearing other people's talks and going shit I got to make my talk better. <laughs> and then, but that's absolutely what you should not do. Like once you get there, like unless there's something fatally wrong with your talk, you need to go with what you planned because otherwise right. you're going to make mistakes. But oh, it's, it's so, so easy. To, it's so impulsive. It's so natural to hear someone and, and even think structurally, you like what they did with their talk or how they phrased something and you want to try mm. to add that. And um, yeah, don't do it. So no, to... you're, it, that is an interesting point because you kind of prepare for your talk in a bubble, don't you? Mm-hmm. Like you're yeah. talking with the team back and forth and then you're binge watching or I was trying to watch as many as I could and be like, oh, was this good? Was this bad? Did I like that? But then on when you get there and you see who else you're going to be on the stage with, you're like, honest to goodness, really? Is this really? Well, like, wow. can I go before you know? them? Yeah, totally. I'm like, really? You're I'm crying now because of your thing and now I have to stand up there and compose myself. But yeah, you're right. Right. You're right. Or correction, not directly before, because the people who went directly before me and directly after me, I do not remember them or their talks. Well, I I remember them. But you know, because of how you are they place you in the lineup, I actually don't remember them. 
because I didn't hear them because I was in that stage where I wasn't like, I, I saw I wasn't in the background where I could see the screen, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. The whole experience was wild. The whole experience every time is wild, I think. Yeah. And it ruined me. I mean, totally. I, just I thought, mean, this is how it should be done. This is amazing. And I was just so proud of people. I was so emotional about everyone's talk and, and, um, you know, even watching you talk this year. So I, I got to see uh, Laura do her um, second TED talk on the stage, on the main stage at TED Summit in Scotland. And it was fucking amazing. Sorry, I don't oh. sure. I, it's my podcast, podcast, so I can swear if I want to, but I'm, I probably shouldn't do that. It's not that you academic. Can. It was amazing. Aww. It was amazing just being in the audience and then watching you and like all of your passion and just delivering this message and talking about what you have done with the other you and your team at Tree Lab. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Oh my god! It felt like Seriously. a coming moment. You know, it felt like a like oh. a, I have arrived. Like like is this what Jay Z felt when he was like writing the blueprint or like I don't know what some what people feel like when they're like right before the Super Bowl or yeah um, <laughs> you know it these big moments be. before they get on the stage. Yeah, you know, because I was actually like, we had been kind of doing this work with portable genomics in Africa and East Africa in particular with the team. And I didn't, like, we're just in the middle of doing this. Like, we, we can reduce the time to diagnostic if we can get this down. And then I didn't even really realize that we were doing anything big. <laughs> okay, Laura, that's totally crazy. You were absolutely doing big things, and it was an amazing talk. But on that note, we're actually going to take a break so that we can give a short little advertisement for our PhDivas Patreon page. We'll be right back. Want to start the new year off right? Don't go to the gym. Give the PhDivas podcast. Uh, Liz, I love the gym. But Zai, don't you love the podcast too? This isn't a competition, Liz, and usually people have to tell me that not everything's a competition. Well, how about this? When you go to the gym, give to PhDivas podcast on Patreon. PhDivas podcast has been going strong for five years. We are more excited than ever about the world of podcasting as academics. We want to keep bringing you great content, and to do that, we need your help with the cost of production. That's right, Zai. Through Patreon, you will support our 2020 vision for PhDivas podcast. Better features, new equipment, and you'll get exclusive access to original content like the bloopers reel for this ad, by the way, and our reading list and outtake. Propose an episode. Get a special shout out. See how exciting this is all going to be? Help us take the podcast to the next level. Click on the Patreon link to find out the many ways that you can support us. And as always, even if you can't support us financially, you can always help out by following us on Facebook and Twitter under PhDivas Podcast. It helps a lot when you rate us and write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we're back and I wanted to follow up about this happiness. And I, I can tell that you're in a really good place right now that you, mm. you, it seems like you're also getting to do the type of research that you want to do right now, which is really empowering. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you have any like insight into um, hmm, what people who are, let's say in the U.S. or um, how might people try to cultivate this inclusive environment? Yeah, you know what? So December of last year, I just decided I'm not going to be in academia anymore. And I had one 
a competition, like a social entrepreneur competition mm-hmm. that gave gave our project, like not a ton of money, a small amount of money. And I just decided, you know what, through the TED Fellows Network, and now we can share this with people that are listening to this, you can, you can function as an independent scientist, like you can get, um, so there's a, so our project is fiscally sponsored by this, this not-for-profit called Multiplier. So they get 7% of what we bring in, and they handle all of the, you know, the making sure we're spending the money correctly and all the tax stuff and the payroll stuff and all that ordering stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like when I write grants now, I don't have to put down an academic institution, but I put down the not-for-profit and they're the partner, right? That's who I'm with now. I'm like an independent person doing science and um, it's fantastic. It, I mean, it is way different, right? It feels really am I, am I having a midlife crisis or what am I doing? But, oh my gosh, it feels so cool every day waking up and going, okay, so in three weeks time, I'm going to Uganda. I'm going to stay there for probably, you know, six to nine months or longer. And we're planning out our science with no nonsense. Just let's execute the yeah, work. Yeah, it seems very straightforward. And it's cool. sort of a lot of middlemen that I think um, so the academics will who have been who recently submitted a grant will understand what I'm talking about. There's a lot of numbers, yep. a lot of things that just yep. don't like, what, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I actually, so yep. for some, depending on where, I, where my funding source comes from, I actually have to pay money. If I win money, I have to pay money to get money. Um, right. Cause they Which want their just, money. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And you know what the point you, I mean, you did ask about, um, you know, how to do it in, with diversity and inclusion at the beginning. And for me, I think that just inherently scientists are awful at figuring that out and they think they can do it themselves. And my point is pay somebody to help you fix it, mm. right? Like stop, stop designing studies that are all a bunch of white people. It's stupid. Mm. And you're not, you're, the science isn't good. It's just not good. It's not interesting. It's boring. And so are the conferences that you put on. So hire people. My thing is, if funders adamantly stop funding these helicopter science-like things and journals stop publishing them, people are going to change, right? Mm-hmm. You just, money and papers are all academics care about. They don't care, most don't care about true impact, right? They're chasing these things that's going to get them a raise and get them tenure and get them whatever, this fake stuff. But you know what? You can, you can shift that funders need to just say look this team isn't good enough and journals need to say i'm not publishing this like this clearly is a violation of all ethics the kyoto protocol and everything else yeah and then things change Mm -hmm. like it's not rocket science right we have antoinette carroll who runs the reaction lab why don't we have her Mm -hmm. helping us design our studies appropriately right like yeah so there's an interesting point too about um what you're making about um what responsibility um, whose responsibility is it to kind of enforce our norms or to change our norms around mm-hmm. our scientific culture? And and, mm-hmm. and the other question about that would be like, which stakeholders do we consider? So there are quite a few of stakeholders that we don't think about them having a role. Um, one would be the publishers that you just mentioned, um, or is it the role of uh, grant grant agents, granting agencies like the NIH or NSF if you're in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, foundations uh, all the way to the institutional level and 
that's an interesting question. Uh, I also think that given our, I won't call it a crisis, but I do feel like we're in a watershed moment in terms of publishing because of open access questions and um, people using the bio arc, the, all these archives and just this accessibility of data and um, universities even pushing back and saying, actually, we're not going to pay like this, like black hole fee just to get access to this when it's you know mm -hmm. so i think that there's some momentum yeah. here i'm not sure what's going to quite happen there but it's exciting to be here when the change is happening and and it's literally shaping how we quantify or don't quantify things mm, it's so true it's such a cool time to be in science i mean i love science it's like i just hate the way the institutions try to do it, right? I'm gonna love science till the end of time. I'm just not in love with the way it's practiced at all. And I think that's and a so good thing to of, say, you know, that we yeah, should be like, separating science and loving science and loving, how, loving doing science from the academic institution, mm -hmm. which in itself yep. is a cry for inclusivity. Yeah, I mean, and people, I, I respect, you know what I realize, I respect the people that wanna stay in the grind, but you know what, man? I got one life to live. I got one. And let me tell you something about Australia. That place is whiter than snow. <laughs> okay, that place, in terms of science, I'm sure they're going to love this. But I'm speaking the truth. I mean, it is, they just don't even care. I couldn't, I couldn't be in a place that was so against my core values. I had to get away from it. I, every day I went in and thought, how can I continue to go to these seminars, white guy after white guy after white guy? Like, I just can't do it. And your voice gets, and I just thought, you know what? Peace out. You people figure that out. I'm out. I'm going to do my thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my thing. I can't, I cannot bear to deal with this nonsense. I mean, uh-uh. And I'm living my life. Like, we have one life to live. So I hope through just trying to be the best ally I can and, and, and do the work that I love with the people who I respect. Right. And doing science on your Somehow. own terms, which is yeah. really and exciting. Like, and I don't think I, people knew that was an yeah. option to do that. No. And I don't, you know what, I'm not going to, I don't know what's going to happen to tell you the truth. Like maybe in a year or two, we check back in and see what goes on. But all I know is that this March, I'm going there. We're going to do more of this. We're going to scale the results. We're going to hang out with farmers. And that's, that's what we're going to do. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. So what's your ultimate but, goal? I mean, what would you like to yeah, happen so, with this tree lab project? <clears throat> so our ultimate goal is, and I think it's even more relevant now with this whole coronavirus outbreak thing is, you know, the capacity to do genomic sequencing has skipped the most marginalized scientists in the world, right? And that just shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. So as much as I'm working on cassava and viruses and whatever, I hope that our legacy as a project is that people were empowered through doing sequencing of their own, be it fisheries, wildlife, human viruses or whatever. I just feel like I hope that every country and every scientist who wants to contribute to their own country's, you know, security and safety and academic output has the ability to do that and that's the goal mm. the goal is to just I mean of course we want to increase we have numbers right of course we want to impact like 50,000 farmers and we want them to have more yield but mm -hmm. 
at the end of the day, I really hope that that the that there's a shift in access to opportunity and that you know African scientists get the recognition that they deserve and that they should have had the entire time and that they have access to the stuff you know I think that's the powerful thing about the project is that this nanopore sequencing is so new and the best part is that that continent is not waiting it's leading and that shift in thinking is I'm so happy to just be a small part of it it's just fantastic I love That's that. That's the goal. I love that. I, I love know. that you said they're not I, waiting, I mean, they're leading. Cause, um, they're not waiting. And it's like, hey, catch I mean, up, look at us, look at what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it's just so, and for me, I just feel like when I'm hanging out in East Africa, I just feel so alive. My whole self is just like, like you're just alive. We're just doing science, there's music, there's culture, there's people that care about each other. There's, it's just better. Everything is better. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just, I, I, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of the, the Singalese dance moves. What were these dance moves? Totally, totally. <laughs> I mean, you got, you better stay tuned. Either. I was thinking, <laughs> I mean, you just wait. I mean, you just follow my Twitter. When I land in Uganda, I'm going to be adding some content. <laughs> Content's going to be added to that Twitter account. Trust me. I'm going to be living my best life. Gonna be I'm going to be dancing life. and singing with farmers. We're going to be, I mean, I don't even know. I'm, I just, I'm just moving towards the light. Seriously, that's what I feel like this portion of my life is. It's like, just move towards the light, bring the science, do the things, and that's it. Forget. So, what forget else do rest. you wish that people knew? <clears throat> what else do you wish people knew about um, African scientists, African farmers, and the scientists that you no, think is not really something that? people get wrong all the time that they just aren't even thinking about what is science like in Africa yeah I think that I just wish that people would um, understand or try to understand that the science is, is so it's it's hard because we I mean we run into power struggles and the internet. So, so a lot of people are pushing for these solutions. I mean, even just doing a Google doc or mm -hmm. um, a Google drive, that is a place of privilege to think that that's a solution for everyone, right? Cause that's not a solution for our team. Mm -hmm. That's not because you know, the internet is really expensive access to the web and access to that information is, is hard. And there are some places that literally don't have, there are research institutions that do not have the internet at all. Not even, there's no cellular coverage. There's no piped in, you know, ethernet. It's nothing. And so I think that, you know, people, when they're thinking about solutions for, for big things need to be super mindful about um, access to those things. Cause that's, that's a struggle. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we struggle with is shipping. Hmm. So getting, getting molecular supplies on a cold chain, that's a challenge. It's a big challenge. And there's all sorts of um, reasons for that. I mean, mainly it's, you know, these, these things land in the airport and then the sheer amount of politics to get them out, you know, the taxes. And then there's, 
you gotta you gotta grease the wheel here with this much and that much and i and every country is so different mm-hmm. and <clears throat> companies i think now are, like molecular companies are starting to realize like if we're going to break into that market we need a detailed study of how we can get scientist supplies because that is a huge problem is access to those things and i don't think that scientists that don't worry about that think about that and um i think that that's a big big uh challenge and you know it's the visa situation is I wish that more scientific conferences were just held on that continent mm. because in reality, in reality, we can all, you know, at, in Uganda, you can get a visa on arrival, oh, right? Okay. Every, everybody can get a visa on arrival. So like, why are we not having more scientific conferences in places where everybody can come? Right? Like, why are we not doing that? Why are they always in the U S and then African scientists struggle so hard to get visas and people just outright say no. Yeah. Nigeria, yeah. a travel ban, which is and Tanzania as well. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. what are we like, doing? On, so Do you know how many Nigerians are here right now? Like, seriously, tons, <laughs> tons, tons. And so, like, as scientists, we have the ability to make decisions. They're hard decisions, right? Because oh, we're gonna have, but you know what? No, we can as collectively as a group say, actually, our next meeting is going to be held in. Kampala or Nairobi or you know Lagos or you know somewhere in Brazil like let's find places where people can actually go mm-hmm. you know like why do we constantly pick the biggest conferences to happen in the most restrictive places right I don't and again know. I, I would be interested in seeing how that works uh, I um it hasn't been a large amount of scientists but I have heard of people now advocating for non-U.S. um Mm-hmm. places to hold conferences for these visa yeah. for these very reasons um and then yeah. on the other hand uh the people that i hear who want to have the conference stay in the u.s is actually because of the same reason because once they are here they can't leave if they leave they won't mm. be able to come back right so they're so yeah. i so i that was something i also wasn't thinking about because you know i thought oh let's go somewhere yeah. else i'm like wait actually mm. given how many international students are in uh, U.S. institutions, which are quite a bit for PhD and graduate students, in some cases, the majority yeah. of um, PhDs yeah. and masters are international, um, and how difficult it was for them to get into the country, let alone trying to leave and come back. So I think that's mm. a real challenge. Um, like on totally, real totally. Challenge. And then there's this idea that's like, oh, get a video link, and that's mm. great. That's great for people with internet privilege, but honest to goodness, if you do that, then you're going to have to really pay some cash to help some of the scientists in East Africa, like maybe set up a hub where, you know, you're right. budget in for an internet, because like, it's just this not idea the same. that there's a video link. It's not the same. No, it's not. That's why we go to conferences it's anyway. Not. It's really not the same. Yeah. It's not, and it's all of those conversations that happen in person, and you get a vibe for somebody anyway. I think that it's a big challenge, and but but thank goodness these issues are being brought up, and people, whether people like it or not, they have to diversify. We have to diversify and be super inclusive in science, or we're not going to solve a damn thing. We're just not. We're not. Yeah. I mean, white men have been at it for how long? Not nothing's changing. Yeah, well, they're not, (laughs) the problems that we are addressing don't change, yes. 
No, no, they're, I mean, they're, they're living their best life so, doing whatever they do, but yeah. Yeah. So this is exciting. Um, I'm so sap- happy to hear about you and um, hear about you starting your own research projects here and still doing science outside the academy, working in Africa, um, and how you're learning about how your research also connects to not only the cast of a virus, but coronavirus and how we can detect that in distant mm. places. Tell us, where can our listeners hear more about your work? These amazing listeners can <laughs> follow me on the Twitter. It's really good. And I think I'm Laura underscore Boykin. Or we have a web page. We have a project web page called cassavavirusactionproject.com that's and and yeah and so and the ted talk and um yeah i mean you can just google stock us and find (laughs) all sorts of interesting things about us (laughs) but we're really i'm really gonna try to um one of the cool things that we're going to do this next time is since we are out, we all of the data that we're going to generate, we're going to make it as open access as we can, right? Oh, I mean, amazing. we want, we're going to, we're going to just try it because we're not, none of it's tied to a student mm-hmm. or a paper or a whatever. Like we really want to <laughs> try amazing. to, yeah, yeah. So we really want to, part of our project is really trying to get a good data, open um, data policy. So, you know, like, we can lift heavy things as a group. I mean, we're seeing it happen with this coronavirus thing, like real time, real time, people are doing doing things and sharing it. And we just feel like farmers deserve that sort of attention as well, but we need to do a good job of putting the data out there for people to, to help us out. That's great. I mean, I, I think that we are going to do a follow-up because I want to hear how this project goes. In fact, I want to hear, you know, I think we'll maybe give it like six months or even next year, but to yeah. hear about like, how does it work? Because I think, again, I think other people who'd be interested in like, how do you science without academia? And it's yeah. like, yeah, you can do yeah. this and you are doing it. And I, I, yeah. And I have to tell you, one of the most amazing things about this is I have found the industry partners so supportive, you know, of, of like um, letting us use prototypes and um, donating uh, supplies to our project. You know, I think that one underutilized thing that I was doing in, when I was at the university was I wasn't just asking, mm. you know, like, hey, you have a really cool DNA extraction device. Hey, can we can we just use that? Can we try it out in the field? And you know, like Oxford Nanopore has been amazing. And there's this company called Zygem and mm-hmm. NVIDIA and Claremont Bio. All these people are like, oh, hell yeah. We'll, we'll send you some stuff. Try it out. And it's like, wow, people care. People care. And industry can move faster than a lot of other mm-hmm. things. So that's one of my tips is, you know, keep an eye on these industry partners that we always think we have to chase these grants here and there, but actually there are industry people that are totally willing to partner and really want to try their products in a real world situation. So I found that really useful. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. Well, thank you, Laura. Uh, Dr. Laura Borgen, I will end it on the doctor notes. Um, it was so great to have oh my you God. and I'm really glad you're my friend. <laughs> oh my God. Love you. Love your podcast. I listen. I can't believe I'm on it. I'm going to send this to my mom. I'm going to send this to the team. Oh, my God. You really should. It's going to be great. Oh, my God.
We're gonna put this on blast in East Africa. <laughs> I mean, like, and yeah, we should. I, mean, I know internet can be a challenge, but maybe um, we can find a way to, you know, get them on the yes. pod too. Or maybe you could interview them on the ground, and you just send I me the link later. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm. I'm hoping to add content. I want to be. I want people to see and to feel real time how cool this is. You know. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Chris, thanks so much for putting us on your podcast. It means a lot. Thank you.